I want to say a huge thank you to Jake Taylor. Jake uh, did all the video work, and then he did all the editing work, and that is a lot of work. I was telling Jason this morning, I didn't realize what it took to edit video until I sat back there with Jake. He had spent, I think, six hours on Friday, and we spent another three uh, last night trying to take like 25 minutes down to as few as we possibly could, but very appreciative of what he did to put that video together. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before I uh, share from God's Word today. God, just thank you for, Lord, we do thank you for our seniors. We thank you for how they have grown up from little children to now adults and how you've blessed their lives. And we do pray for this next, next chapter as they move into college or, or the workforce or wherever they go. We pray that you would just watch over them. And Lord, we pray that in all things they would keep you first in their life. And that you would bless their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we are celebrating the graduating class of of 17. And um, as you've seen, this is a large class. And it's kind of hard to say goodbye to them. But they've done a great job of of really setting examples for the younger students here at our church. Of what it means to follow Christ. So they're leaving one chapter and they're moving to a new chapter. A new exciting chapter. I mean, college is a great time of life. Uh, it was so great. I think I spent seven years uh, working on my undergrad degree. I enjoyed it so much. But a lot of new freedoms, but also new challenges and new responsibilities. And I just want to take some time this morning to uh, just offer some challenges to the graduating class of 2017. Actually, to everybody that's listening, but especially the class of 2017, to live for Christ while you're in college. I don't know if anyone recognizes this guy uh, that we're going to put his picture up. Uh, his name is Jim Fix. Oh, we have him here? There he is. His name is Jim Fix. Anybody recognize him? I didn't recognize him either. I was reading about him. He, uh, Jim Fix was an avid runner. Now, he wasn't always an avid runner. At the age of 35, he was overweight, and he decided to take up running. So he took up running, serious running. He ran on an average week between 50 and 80 miles each week. And he lost 70 pounds in no time. He was an avid runner basically for his, the rest of his life after he got devoted to running. So, so committed that he wrote this book, The Complete Book of Running. A, a, a book that I'd never seen before, but apparently a lot of people liked because he sold 50 million copies. And it told people, again, how to properly run and how to be a runner. Uh, Jim went out one morning. He lived in Vermont, you know, the the place where Mount Rushmore is. Sorry, Will, I just had to mention that. Sorry. If you don't know, you you missed a couple weeks ago. But I I won't mention that. But anyway, uh, Mount Rushmore is actually not in Vermont. But Will thought it was. Uh, But he went out running one morning in Vermont by himself and died had a massive heart attack. It was later discovered that Fix had three critical arteries that were almost totally blocked. This guy that looked totally in shape on the outside, his heart was not in shape at all. It was later found out that as an adult, he had never once had a physical, and he had never uh, had any kind of test done on his heart. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about our students as they graduate. You know, I believe that the college years 
are for many like a spiritual heart test. Matter of fact, many that claim to be followers of Christ don't survive their college years as believers. That's what Barna statistics say. Barna statistics say that 70 to 75% of our students in youth ministry within the first five years of leaving high school are no longer in church. Now, this stat includes any student that would say, hey, I went to church some when I was in high school. Not, not just the devoted ones, but also those. So it's somewhat probably inflated, the number. But still, there's some great concern there that so many of our students are walking away from church after high school. Now, why is this happening? I don't know if we can say one reason. I want to give you a couple reasons, though. One reason may be because for college students... This is the first time they had the freedom to decide whether or not they're going to church or not. They might have been raised in a family that, because of mom's faith or dad's faith, that it really wasn't a choice whether or not they were going to church. They were going to be there. But now, no, mom and dad are no longer making that decision. It's their decision to decide if they're going to be in church. Kind of related to that, another reason may be that many students that claim to be followers of Christ in high school have never truly surrendered their life to Jesus. And now, as they have more freedom in college to do whatever they want to do, they're choosing to not be in church and to go after other things that their hearts desire. It could also be that college professors at state universities are five times more likely to be atheists than the general public. And so as these professors have great influence on these students, work closely with these students, they influence them away from God and away from the church. Now, I do want to say a promising stat that Barna does include is that three-fifths of these students, 60%, that go away from church after five years come back as adults. When they start having kids and we get married, Things change in their life, and they come back. So, so a majority of them do, but still, there's that 40% that never come back. Now, this generation is not the first generation that's faced that, though. This has been going on for years. Matter of fact, we can go all the way back to a man like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was raised in church and was very faithful in church, but as a teenager, pulled away from church. So much that he became an atheist. But later, we know that in his early 30s, he surrendered his life to Christ. And he became one of 20th century's greatest Christian thinkers and greatest Christian writers. So there is hope for even those that stray away. But today, I want to just challenge our students from Matthew chapter 23. Three challenges. And, and again, it is directed to them, but it's really directed to everybody from God's Word. Matthew 23, let me just give you a little background before we uh, look at this passage. Jesus has just finished a round of question and answers with the scribes and Pharisees. That happened on different occasions. Where they would ask him these questions and understand this. They would ask Jesus questions most of the time not looking for answers. They weren't looking for truth. They were looking to trap Jesus. That he would say something wrong they could use against him. And so he had just finished in chapter 22 having all these questions and debates with them. Now he's in chapter 23, and he's not talking to them anymore. He's talking to a great crowd and his disciples. And he's basically warning them not to be 
like the scribes and Pharisees. Giving them warning, do not live like these guys live. And we're going to look today, there's actually, if you go through the whole chapter, he gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. We're just going to look at the first part today and make three points on what it really means to be a true follower of Christ. Let's look at the scripture. It's in Matthew 23, and I think uh, you've got it in your notes if you, inside your bulletin. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus is basically saying, understand this. These Pharisees and scribes talk one game, but they live another game. They live another life. So my first point to you seniors is following Christ requires integrity. Following Christ requires integrity. See, the scribes and the Pharisees had what we would call skin-deep holiness. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside, it was a much different story. On the inside, it was very cold and very dark. Integrity means that basically our inside, what we believe on the inside, is what we live out on the outside. The actual definition of integrity is this. It's the state of being whole. It's to be undivided. In other words, there's no division between what we say and what we actually do, what we actually live out in life. I mean, do we ever live in a world that needs Christians that live with integrity every single day? And I think the question that we should all ask, not just the seniors, all of us should ask this question. Is there a consistency between what I say and actually how I live? If not, you know what you are? You're a hypocrite. That's what Jesus claimed. That's what he would say to the scribes and Pharisees. You're hypocrites because you say one thing, but you live something totally different. Now, when I think of integrity, I think of a couple months ago, I watched the, the movie, uh, and probably a number of you have seen it, Hacksaw Ridge. How many of you have seen Hacksaw Ridge? Anybody? Okay, a number of you have. If you've not seen it, I encourage you to see it. It is a, a war movie. It's got some violence and stuff, but it's an excellent movie. Incredible story of bravery, incredible story of sacrifice, integrity that is lived out by Desmond Doss. Now, Doss was... Doss was somebody that was committed to serving in the army. He volunteered during World War II to serve. And he also, though, had a conviction that he would not carry a weapon because he believed even in war it was wrong to kill another person. So that created a great problem because his superior officers did not go for the fact that he would not carry a rifle or even touch a rifle. So they put him through great abuse to try to get him to drop out of the army, but he would not because he was committed to serving. He wanted to be a medic to help other people. And we know that through history that he made a great impact. We, we read in history that he single-handedly saved 75 men in a battle in Okawawa. Great courage that he showed. And I thought about the fact that he later received the Medal of Honor 
that was presented to him. Integrity, when we believe something in our heart and live it out, it makes a difference. And it sets us apart from the world. Don't come to church and sing about 10,000 reasons and how great God is. But go into the world and live as if God doesn't exist. That's a hypocrite. We need Christian people that live with integrity. And we need college students that will live their lives on a college campus with integrity. So that's the first point. Following Christ requires integrity. The second thing we see in verse 5. It says they do all their deeds. Talking about the scribes and Pharisees. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their flatteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Jesus saying, these guys, they love to be seen by others. That's the motivation behind what they do. So that's point two. Following Christ requires you not to live for the applause of man, but for the applause of God. Not to live for the applause of man, but for the applause of God. These religious guys, they, they just love for others to talk about them. The passage says that they would put on these phylacteries. Now, now I think we got maybe a picture of that. I didn't even know what that was, to be honest with you. And I had to study up. This is a picture of a guy wearing one. And what they would do, the, the Bible says, Jesus said they would broaden theirs. And what, they would take Old Testament scripture and they would stuff it inside there. And when they went to pray, they would pull these, these scriptures out and they would pray over them. So they would have these big ones so that everybody would say, man, look at that guy. He sure is religious. Look at all he's praying for. It was all a show. It was a show. Not only that, it says they lengthened their fringes. It was basically like tassels on a prayer cloth. They would lengthen those to make them real long so people would look at those again. Now, this sounds crazy to us, right? But in that culture, that's what they did to be noticed. And people would see them and they'd be like, Man, that, those guys are holy. Look, at, look how long. Man, that is unbelievable. Jesus said these religious guys, they love to, to go to banquets and feasts and to sit in the special seats of honor. And can't you just see it now? The, the feast, the banquet's getting ready to start. And here comes the scribe and Pharisee. They kind of come in right at the last minute so they can just parade and walk right by everybody. Everybody sees them. Right up to the seat of honor. They were like celebrities. Everybody's like, there, look who's here. Wow, this must be an important banquet, an important feast. Because look who showed up. Jesus said they love to be called rabbi, which means teacher. They loved when other people would ask them for, for help and stuff. They loved it. <clears throat> Hear me, please, college students. Hear me. It is a deadly Thing to live for the applause of man. It is a deadly thing. Because I'm going to tell you what happens is once you start living for the applause of man and your flesh starts just enjoying that, when people make a big deal about you and you enjoy it, you want it more and more and more to the point that the applause of God doesn't matter anymore. You're living for others. And look, that's not a temptation just for the college students. That's all of us, isn't it? That's me. 
That's a huge temptation. To live for the applause of man instead of the applause of God. You know why? Because that's what our culture celebrates. To be famous is like the ultimate today. Everybody wants to be famous. I mean, think about the Academy Awards. Candace and I got to go out to Los Angeles uh, in the winter, and we got to visit the Dolby Theater where they do the Academy Awards, and they have the red carpet out there, you know, and it's a big deal. I mean, think about this. We treat these people like they're some gods or something, and the people are actors. That's what they do. They're just actors. They, they pretend like they're somebody else, and we make them out to be like they're above human. Or let me bring this a little closer to my, my heart. What about the way we treat professional athletes? Or the way we look at coaches? Now, thought about old uh, Nick Saban here. Y'all see that this week where he signed a new contract. He's going to make $11.125 million this next year. Now, the first thing I thought as a Tennessee fan is, surely we can come up with $12 million to get him in Knoxville. I mean, come on. But, but apparently he don't want to come. Uh, but in all honesty, just think for a second. Think about what our culture says is the most important. It's acting, it's, it's football, it's all these things that are temporary and dying and going away. Our culture makes a priority. Success, looks, money, smarts. These are the things we worship. But Jesus said this in Mark 8. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world but yet forfeit or so? What good is it? You know what? Pastor Tommy's been talking about this for weeks. We've been created for one purpose and one purpose only. And that's to glorify God. That is why we're created. And if we're doing anything else for life, that's leading to failure. That's a mistake because it's all about him and live for him. We were not created for the applause of man. So college students, graduates are about to be college students. Following Christ requires integrity. It requires living for the applause of God. But the last thing we see, skipping down to verse 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Point three. Following Christ requires that we humble ourselves and serve others. That we humble ourselves and serve others. Now, students, if you want to be great, listen to the words of Jesus. If you want to be great, humble yourself and serve others. Not what the world tells you. That's not what the world tells you. It's the opposite of what the world tells you. Jesus says, humble yourself and serve others. I tell you, if you look through the Bible, it is amazing that the one characteristic we see over and over and over again of people that God uses is humility. Van and I co-teach a class, and, and we're walking through uh, the Gospel of Luke. But during Christmas time, we were in Luke 1, Luke 2, the birth of Jesus. And I, I, we just talked about it a number of times, and it hit me afresh this year like never before. The humility of the people that God used at his birth. Think about the humility of Mary. I mean, just go back and read the story. It's unbelievable. Think about the humility of Joseph. 
Think about the uh, humility of Elizabeth, the cousin. It wasn't about her. It was all about Jesus. Even John the Baptist later, he was not worthy to even tie his shoes. Humility was the mark of the people that God used. Then, guess what? Still the same today. Humility is what God's looking for. Not people that are puffed up and proud of themselves, but people that will serve other people. Do you know what the root of humility is? Now, the foundation of humility is a relationship with Christ. But the root of humility is right knowledge. Now, here's what I mean. A person has the right knowledge about himself or herself. If they truly understand their sinfulness, if they truly understand their depravity, if they truly understand their need for forgiveness, for a person has the right knowledge that truly has the right understanding of God, His mighty hand, His sovereignty, the fact that He is holy, the fact that Him alone can offer forgiveness and grace, a person has that right knowledge, they cannot be proud. They have to be humble. But the reverse of that is somebody that's ignorant. Sure ignorance. Ignorance of our sinfulness. Ignorance of our need for forgiveness. Ignorance of the mercy that God freely offers us. Ignorance is what leads to a proud heart. The scripture teaches in Proverbs 16 that pride comes before destruction. So if you reject that humility and you go to pride way, understand where you're going. You're heading towards destruction. And that is the path of most college students. And that's the path of most adults. It's all about them. And that leads to destruction. I want to wrap up and close. I was thinking about how I would close this. And I just, I just kept on coming back to the famous words of Jim Elliott. Words that you've probably heard many times and words I've heard many times. But to think about the fact that Jim Elliott was just a decade older than our graduating seniors. He was 29. And he was serving in Ecuador to get the gospel known to people that never heard about Jesus. And he was killed trying to do that. But through his death, the gospel got to those people. And people were saved. But to think of his words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. He is no fool. He is no fool if he lives a humble life. He is no fool if he lives for the applause of God. He is no fool if he lives his life in integrity. who gives what he cannot keep, the things of this world, to gain what he cannot lose. I would ask you today, as we close, where's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you living for the things of this world? Are you living for the things that are slowly but surely dying or going to be gone? Are you living for the applause of the one? that we were created to live for, for His glory.